listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the radio show. Thank you so much for spending your hour with us. And the theme of today's show is guilt. I don't know how you feel, but today is Feel Guilty Friday. And that's okay. Let's embrace the guilt. Let's let's just know that we're we all feel some guilt. Later on in the program, we're gonna have a spirited discussion about whose community Whose culture's guilt is the best slashed worst? It's, it, it's going to be fascinating. Trust me. Trust me. Stay with me on that. I uh, want to uh, take you to Queen's Park, where just a couple of minutes ago, or pardon me, a couple of hours ago, earlier this morning, Jason Kenney, the new Alberta Premier in town. You heard about it in the news. Here is uh, Jason Kenney talking about the alliance with his BFF DOFO. Really appreciate Premier Ford's support for uh, pipelines against the carbon tax. So we're going to have a great alliance between Alberta and Ontario. Uh, joined by Saskatchewan, Manitoba, New Brunswick, and now Prince Edward Island. Got a majority of provinces and territories who want uh, jobs, who want uh, to get our energy to markets, who oppose the job-killing carbon tax. That is Jason Kenney, the Alberta Premier at Queen's Park earlier this morning, talking about the alliance now against Justin Trudeau. And it is formidable. Here is the Premier. Here is Doug Ford responding. I want to first of all congratulate my friend, uh, Premier Kenny, for the, the great victory. I can't even wait to smile off my face. <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you so much. I look forward to working with the Premier. and uh, What, what a, a great ally. And, I'll tell you, the people of uh, Alberta, they're, they're fortunate to have such a, a great person leading the province. I still feel guilty. That is Premier Doug Ford speaking at Queen's Park after a brief meeting with new Alberta Premier Jason Kenney. And the Premier now is on his way to the flooded areas north of the city into cottage country he is doing some touring there later this afternoon. He will be holding a media availability where he will be answering questions, mostly from local press. I'm not certain how many members of the actual press gallery will travel to that. It's one of those weird things when you cover politics like this, where the premier or the leader, whoever you're following, goes and does something, and you know there's you know a torrent of water or some crazy thing going on behind him and then somebody asks well you know what about your shoelaces or you know like whatever the thing is that's the new uh you know controversy of the day and it's always kind of weird and that juxtaposition so interesting to see what happens that to that later on this afternoon make sure you stay with global news radio for more on that oh hey i got an email from doug ford this morning i got an email from doug ford it's uh, in my inbox it just says, from Doug Ford, and the subject line is, I went to New York. That's not, Doug, I went to New York. Let me read it to you. Alan, I want to tell you about the trip I just took. I went to New York to tell Wall Street that, that Ontario is open for business. I told them about how we're cutting red tape, lowering taxes, lowering hydro bills, and it's paying off. Companies in Ontario have created 124,000 new jobs since we took office. There's been 50... I'm just... Yeah. There's been 15 years of liberal waste and mismanagement in this province, but we're already seeing it to, to, starting to see it turn around. I'm blowing this one. The last election was a tough one. 
Yeah, you, you you romped a giant victory, pal. I don't, how is it tough? The next one will be two. We need to make sure we're ready, and I need your help. Alan, click here to donate $1. Thank you, Doug Ford. It's Doug Ford this morning, uh, and his email, I want to move to an incredible story about cheerleading. Have you seen this one? This is exclusive to Global News. You can read about it on globalnews.ca. It's uh, Jamie Marocker's story, and she joins me on the line now. Jamie Marocker is a Global News reporter. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Alan. So on Sunday, Power Cheer Toronto's uh, cheer team, and am I correct in calling it a cheerleading team? Can you still say that? Of course you can still say that. They're all-star cheerleaders. Okay, I thought maybe we'd moved on to some kind of... Other term. I would anyway. So no. anyway, they were they were in this thing. Uh, this is where in Orlando, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so they were competing in world in the world championships in Orlando, Florida. Okay. So what happens is that they are supposed to be in some sort of dance off for bronze, but then <laughs> that does not happen. Yes. Okay. So it's not a dance off. <laughs> <laughs> it would be better if it was a dance off. I mean, Come um, on. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so it. it you have to understand, first of all, that this is one of the major divisions. So, first of all, this is international open large co-ed division, so one of the highest levels. These are people ranging from 18 years old to 25 years old. You know, they're at the peak of their athleticism. They've been doing this for years. They're competing on behalf of their country. So what happens in the semifinals is three teams from each country get to move on to the semifinals. It has always been three teams. This is just the way it goes. But for some reason, there was a tie heading into the semifinals between two U.S. teams. And the governing body um, for All-Star Cheerleading internationally, the IASF, decided that they were going to allow all four U.S. teams to advance, which has never happened before. Their rules and regulations do actually state um, that when it comes to the semifinals or the final round, that there is to be a tiebreaker. In the times that this has happened previously, there has always been a tiebreaker. And for some reason, the director of the IASF made the executive decision that there was going to be no tiebreaker. They were going to put both U.S. teams through. So that means the U.S. had four teams, while other countries such as Australia, Canada, Europe, uh, um, Europe England, they um, all had three competing teams. J- Jamie, I want to play for you. This is, I believe, Natalie Von Lanthan. Is this? Yes. Do I have that right? Who, who is yes. she? So Natalie is the owner and coach of Power Cheer Toronto, and oh. she heads up this team. The, uh, this is so interesting from your interview with her, where she talks about what she thinks is perhaps behind this. What I can say is that anytime something like this happens, when it is a well-known American team they seem to get the benefit of the doubt. And I can recall a number of instances, but I cannot recall any instance in which a Canadian team has gotten the benefit of the doubt, or an Australian, or a German, or a Slovenian. It's really only the Americans that seem to get this treatment. Jamie Marocker is with us on the line, and you are listening to a coach and owner of a cheerleading team that was competing in the Worlds over the weekend and then suddenly discovered that they were not going to be going home with any hardware, even though they had a right to it, Jamie. 
Yeah, that's what they are saying. They are saying that they were robbed of a bronze medal. Um, and for them, this is essentially the Olympics of cheerleading. Um, until they get into the Olympics, they do have a bid to become um, an Olympic sport. But in the meantime, world is it. Um, so the teams that made it into that, that round, the four U.S. teams, the one that snaked in is called Top Gun. And Top Gun is a household name. If you know cheerleading in the competitive world of power cheerleading, they are the end-all, be-all, an amazing team. They have held the world title for the category before. And so the concern is that they were maybe getting special treatment because um, many people who are out world say that there should have been a tiebreaker between those two teams or, you know, a team that wasn't supposed to be. Every other country got three, three bits. Why did the U.S. get four? That is the, what this comes down to. This, I mean, I think everybody that, you know, just sort of on a higher level that knows these kind of sports are saying, this reminds me a little bit of figure skating, you know, where the, mm-hmm. you know, the judges are always with their, you know, thumbs on the thing this way or that way. Mm-hmm. Is this just a systemic issue with this uh, body, this organizing body? Well, Natalie told me she was extremely shocked because there have been four other instances at Worlds where tiebreakers have been needed. And in all other instances, except this one, they have gone through with a tiebreaker. So um, actually, Cheer Canada, the governing body for our country, has stepped in. They have written um, a formal letter, letter to Les Stella and asked that Canada be given their bronze medal. And um, they haven't received a response. But, um, I mean, I guess there's an admission of wrongdoing because Nat says that um, her team was offered up an apology by the ISF. Uh, she says, though, she doesn't want an apology. She wants her medal. Jamie Marocker is a Global News reporter, and we'll have a story on this tonight uh, on the news. Is that right, Jamie? That's absolutely right. So, Jamie, this is an exclusive to you. Uh, thank you so much for your reporting. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So, uh, again, you can see that uh, it is online right now, globalnews.ca. If you want to hear more of this, you can hear more there, you can see more, and, of course, on television tonight at 5.30 on Global News. And that's going to outrage a lot of people. And I also, I think, at the same time, I don't think there's a lot of surprise there. You're going to say, oh, really? The red, white, and blue suddenly tipping the scales their way. Ah, hmm. Where have I seen that before? Where have I seen a whistle not being blown on a hard court with a guy with a basketball who's clearly been fouled? Where do I do? Listen, could I just say one thing about the Raptors game last night and going forward into into Game Four? Is Ty Domi available? Is Ty Domi available to come in and guard Embiid? Because you know what we need for that guy? You want a showboat? You're going to take an elbow to the nose. Let's do it hockey style. I am Alan Carter. <clears throat> I feel a little guilty. Later on in the program, we are going to talk about guilt. Whose guilt is the best? Who's best at guilt? We're going to talk about our moms. Oh, it's going to be good. Stay with us. We're back in a moment.
Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for spending your Friday with us. Uh, sad news from the world of entertainment. Am I right or am I right? It is just too bad to hear this one. There it is right there. Chewbacca. Peter Mayhew, dying at the age of 74, the towering actor who donned that huge furry costume. He was Chewbacca in the original Star Wars trilogy and two other films. He was a kind and gentle man, possessed of great dignity and noble character, said Harrison Ford in a statement on Thursday. Quote, these aspects of his own personality, plus his wit and grace he brought to Chewbacca... We were partners in film and friends in life for over 30 years, and I loved him. Rest in peace, Chewbacca. Our next guest is no stranger to tragedy and also triumph. He blazed a trail, a political trail, in this province. He was a front-bench cabinet minister. He was a trailblazer for the gay community. But he was also a controversial figure. And he survived personal tragedy. George Smitherman has written a book about his experiences and joins me now. George, great to see you. Good to see you. Let's begin with the darkness before we move to the light. In January 2014, your then-husband committed suicide, and you write very eloquently in the book about not being surprised. It was a few days before that actually. It was uh, December 29th and pronounced on uh, December the 30th, uh, 2013. Uh, there was a predictability to it, sadly, and I've spoken to so many other people that have been in the same situation where the loved one, uh, despite efforts, was uh, really intent on an eventuality. And uh, it uh, was uh, clear to me that that was the context that I was uh, that I was operating in. It was all on the table, and um, that uh, that's it's difficult to say this, but in a certain sense, that uncertainty is more you know is 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 more difficult than uh, the unknown is more di- is in some ways more difficult to confront than the known. And the pa- and the sense of powerlessness that comes. You had just- at one at one point. Sorry, to interrupt yeah. you. At one point, my my fiftieth birthday would have been February twelfth of the next year. And at one point, Christopher indicated to me that he was he, he was trying to leg it out. You had recently adopted a second child, and what I find fascinating is you write so openly about the lessons that you learned about how to cope with trauma, how to cope with tragedy while being a father. What did you bring out of that? Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure that I could have coped with the tragedy absent of being a father. And, you know, when I told those little ones that their dad wasn't coming home anymore again, the little boy, Michael, his first response was, uh, who's, who's going to cook? because uh, uh, Christopher was a fantastic cook and took so much responsibility there. So uh, what choice do you have when you're a solo parent? I don't say single parent, because as a, when a man says single parent, people assume that that's like two weeks on and two, you know, mm-hmm. three days here. Yeah, divorced dad. I'm like, no, I say solo yeah. parent, yeah. because uh, 
you know, my heart really goes out to uh, people that are in that predicament. It's uh, socially isolating and the like. But the kids keep it the kids keep it real and necessary because they wake up the next morning, and their feet hit the floor, and they bring an energy and a joy and need cuddles just as much as uh, just as much as uh, as I did. So they're the reason to keep uh, to keep it all going. Currently, you're remarried. Your life. You said just before we came on, everything's great. That's going going much better. And I wonder, for those who might be going through a tough time, tell me about the tunnel and how you get to the other side. Well, the book's got quite a few different places where I had to fight through to the other side, and it's a candid expression of my life. And it was it was really it was hard to it was hard to write it you know the the title unconventional candor gives way to the idea that i'm going to you know sink you know try to sink a lot of former pl no it's not really so much about that the candor and the comes mostly at my own expense and but you know like i've 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 just uh, in my life uh, found the way to uh, uh, fight one more day for uh, for something better and whether that was in the context of addiction or uh, dealing with the trauma that comes from uh, having uh, uh, someone uh, death by suicide um, you know you just uh, for, for me I just uh, put one f one foot before the next and uh, better days came I had love and support from people that uh, uh, continues to this uh, continues to this day but uh, you know I just I, I, I appreciate the most one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book is because I know that my story of dealing with addiction has inspired at least one or two others because they've told me uh, to look for that other side and when you're in the battle against addiction it is kind of like that that you just uh, you just build up to the point where you make a breakthrough and all of a sudden you can see things more clearly or what have you and to the people that are fighting addiction I just want to and I, I would always want them to know that I've been in that space, and I know those those battles are so tough. But to not succumb to it, and to uh, try and find brightness, and for all of us to look in a little bit more on the people that are vulnerable that are around us. The, the, the other thing that you are drawn to, of course, is politics. And before we run out of time, are we going to see your name back on a ballot again? It seems like you you just can't stay away. Well. I don't know. The final chapter of the book is called uh, Run Over by a Ford, again, brackets, different model. So my recent run for municipal politics had only two positives associated with it. I got to reunite with aspects of the community that I'd missed and that I loved deeply, and that my husband and my kids got to see me in what I might describe as my natural element, but I don't really see a pathway at the moment back for uh, politics, so I'll be uh, hoping to uh, do as I have before, is uh, help the next generation in, uh, in, uh, in coming forward and, uh, you know, maybe uh, just uh, spend as much time with those uh, with those with those kids because as all parents say they grew up so fast which is so true isn't it true but you blink your eye yeah no politics for me alan george smitherman unconventional candor is the book thank you so much for being with my us. pleasure thank you you can see that interview and more on ontario politics this weekend on focus ontario which is on global news uh, global television at 5 30 on saturday and again 11.30 Sunday morning after the West Block, which makes for just an absolutely fantastic political hour of television. I recommend, I this is what I do, if you're like me, is you pour yourself a good Bloody Caesar. You know, like a good one, but you put like, a, a, like an egg and some sausage and maybe some hash browns and a pancake in there. And then that... 
And then you just you could just digest that. You got your breakfast in a glass. Make it a make it a make it a virgin because you don't want to be. It, that's just. Can we rip and read for a moment here? I just quickly. I, this, this is something that we do on the show, and I want to do this on a Friday just to kind of you know cheer us up uh, a little bit. Uh, this is freestyle anchorman style. So what happens is. Some of the interns in the back, the unpaid people, um, and there's a there's an army of them back there. We don't pay them a dime. Uh, and what they do is they just go through the wire services, and they've just ripped off some wire, and they've handed it to me. I've not seen any of this stuff. I'm going to read it cold. Ice cold Anchorman read right here. And for this, I need a beat. Landlord tells tenant to take turns sleeping in single bed in cramped house ad. Renting can be an absolute nightmare. There are huge deposits to cobble together at a moment's notice. There are grim, damp flats, nightmare landlords, and blood-sucking letting agents. In an ad, an Australian landlord advertises his flat, which costs $66. We're guessing that's a week, but who knows, especially when you consider what one of the stipulations is. The landlord states that the flat is for two people. Confoundingly, though, there's just one single bed. But it's okay because the landlord has it all figured out. Tenants can just take turns to sleep in the bed. The landlord goes on to say that the space is perfect for shift workers who can alternate sleeping in the bed depending on their working hours. Moving on. How often you're meant to wash your bras and when you need to buy a new one. More than 80% of women are wearing the wrong size bra. It's an unbelievably high figure, but it's an easy mistake to make. The size of boobs can change for a number of reasons. Bring me the interns. The size of boobs can change for a number of reasons, including if you lose or gain weight. But lots of people are guilty of getting measured and sticking to that size for years. So how do you know if you're wearing the right bra? And how often should you buy a new one? Marks and Spencer's bra-fit expert and technical manager, Julia Mercer, a good way to says a good way to check your bra is giving you enough support to, is to slide the straps off and see if the if the uh, see if the cups are still supportive. The straps are designed to hold the cups up, not to give support. Now what do you do about washing? Mercer says I would recommend washing after each use, as this keeps your bra fresh and clean. I'm ripping, and I'm reading. Ice cold. Mom furious says school sends son's lunchbox back because of one unhealthy homemade item. A mom was left absolutely furious after her son's school sent his lunchbox back with a note telling her one of the homemade items wasn't healthy enough. She packed a few healthy homemade sausage rolls, which were packed with lots of different veg. His teachers weren't impressed and sent the little boy back with a condescending note saying they weren't healthy enough. It read, quote, let's work together to make it easier for children to make healthy choices. The mom, who is from Australia, was absolutely furious, took to Facebook to share her thoughts. She wrote, so I cooked my butt off. Included in the cook were sausage rolls loaded with veg and I sent them to preschool with them to return along with this note. In my opinion, these sausage rolls are pretty healthy for them. I will be sending the information back to the school. That is the Rip and Read segment right there, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. When we come back, a fascinating story about sports, testosterone, 
and women athletes. This is the Alan Carter Radio Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You better run, run, run. This is uh, Guilty Friday, a feel-good... F- I still feel, feel guilty. Guilty Friday is what it is. I still feel guilty. Coming up in our next segment, a discussion about which culture has the best, worst guilt. You know, my Jewish friends always say, you don't know anything. And even my Catholic friends say, you know, you Protestants, you don't know anything about guilt. But I disagree. And uh, then my co-anchor, Farah Nasser, says, listen, salvation guilt is way worse. And Pei Chen will join us, uh, and she's fantastic, and she's probably going to tell us, none of you know what you're talking about. And so that's going to be a discussion we're going to have coming up. But I, first of all, I want to talk about what's happening in track and field, because uh, track and field's governing body said on Thursday that it plans to enforce new rules on testosterone levels for female runners more widely than the sport's highest court is recommending, dealing yet another setback to Olympic sensation Castor Semenya. On Wednesday, the Court of Arbitration for Sport ruled that the IAAF enforce women like Semenya with unusually high testosterone to take medication to lower their levels of muscle-building male sex hormone if they want to compete in events like 400 meters. But the court has now recommended that the rules should be enforced even more widely, which is uh, dealt a blow to... Uh, what is widely perceived is the one way that Ms. Semenyuk could get around all of this, which is competing in other events that the governing bodies do not deem testosterone levels can impact. All of this is very confusing, and it has a huge reverberation for Canada, for athletes from this country, and what's going to happen going forward. And I'm pleased to welcome to the program Joanna Harper, who is an advisor to the IOC on matters of gender and sport, a researcher for effects of transgender transitioning on performance. Welcome to the program. Uh, glad to be here. Tell me, what was your reaction to the court's ruling earlier this week regarding the South African sprinter? You know, it's a very, very difficult decision, and, and there are a lot of complex factors, but um, all in all, I, I think that the court's decision was an appropriate one. Tell me, help me understand testosterone. This is naturally occurring testosterone in these athletes' bodies. Is that correct? It is, but, but these women are born with internal testes, and they have male levels of testosterone and uh, virtually full male athletic advantage. And so that is the reason for this ruling. Help me understand how this can be applied fairly. It, it is just simply a matter of blood tests and saying if you don't take these the, this medication that lowers your testosterone level, you just simply can't compete. Well, again, that's not exactly true. Um, <clears throat> the ruling states that uh, at events like the Olympic Games and the World Championships, um, athletes with these conditions where, where they have internal testes, um, have to take 
medication, these medications only if they wish to compete in events from the 400 to the 1500 at these international championship events uh, in the women's category. They can compete in the men's category. They can compete in uh, events that are shorter than 400 or longer than the mile. They can also compete uh, with their high testosterone levels at to and up to including uh, national championships, which, you know, winning a national championship is an amazing thing for most athletes. Does Do those athletes not run the danger of having an asterisk beside their win? I'm, I'm not sure which athletes you mean, but... Um, the athletes with the, uh, with the higher testosterone levels who are being... Ele- because I, I believe that the... The controversy now has moved to not just that, okay, you can't, you know, you, you can't compete in the 400 meters, pardon me if I'm getting that wrong, uh, but it's the longer distances, and there seems to be some controversy about now whether that should, ban should just be for everything. There is certainly controversy as to whether it should include all events or not, but the, the IAAF regulations cover from 400 meters up to including the mile. Nothing longer than that. Castor Semenya has run two races earlier this spring at at 5,000 meters, uh, winning uh, a South African national championship at at 5,000 meters. So so she is and would be able to compete in the world championships later this year in the 5,000 meters, should she choose to, without lowering testosterone. Joanna Harper is advisor to the IOC on matters of gender in sport and a researcher for effects of transgender transitioning on performance. And it is a fascinating subject and one that we will be talking about for many weeks and months to come. Thank you for being on the program. You're welcome. Just pile your troubles up on the worry boat. There's room for all that really gets your goat. And don't you It is Friday. Thank you so much for being with us, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. This next segment is going to be fascinating. I hope I hope the CRTC does not end up yarding our license because of it. You know, you never know. It could go sideways. That's the beauty of radio. Uh, do you feel guilty? Not for anything in particular, just a general sense of, you know, whatever is wrong, past, present, future tense, is likely p- your fault. Now, all the anthropologists out there in the audience can take a seat, because I'm not about to dive into the distinctions on guilt, shame, and fear cultures. No. Instead, I'm talking about Toronto and this great city with its amazing, diverse population. For me, a night out with friends often turns to discussions about what is distinct about our upbringings and whose culture and community is best or worst, at guilt always seems to be where we end up. And it gets the people fired up. So let's get to it. To help hash this out, representing the South Asian community, my co-anchor, award-winning journalist, Farah Nasser. Hi, Farah. Good afternoon. To talk about Jewish guilt, veteran journalist Naomi Parnas. Hi, Naomi. Hi, Alan, and I had bronchitis all week, but I felt guilty saying no to this, so I'm here. (laughs) All right, thank you. And Asian Communities, your guilt spokesperson is radio and television host Pei Chen. Hey, Pei. Hi. 
All right, I'm going to represent waspy guilt in all of this. Now, my Catholic friends say that I know nothing. I'm going to do my best to try and include them in this discussion. Let's begin with you, Naomi. And the Jewish community usually claims the Iron Throne of guilt. Do you agree? Uh, yes. it, it, you you are the best at guilt? A hundred percent. I have a Jewish grandmother who's still alive, who's 93. She survived the Holocaust. I mean, nothing that I could ever complain about could ever live up to what she's gone through. But I feel guilt leaving dinner early. I mean, we get looks leaving dinner early. I We're exhausted because we have to go to every function and be there for everyone and call everyone and make sure we show up at dinner because we, we feel guilty if we don't. So, yes, I 100%. I mean, I don't just get it from my grandmother. There's a long list of people in my family who I get guilt from. So And then I guilt my husband. Let's move on to you, Farah. <laughs> You've killed your husband. <laughs> Farah, I, we talked about this last night in between stories when we were on the uh, anchor desk, and you said what was particular about the kind of guilt that you experience in your community? It's food. It's the fact that I don't cook. <laughs> That's the biggest problem in my life right now. Oh, yeah. Um, I know that, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it's like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a South Asian woman, uh, why don't I cook? Well, I don't like to cook. I'm not actually that good at cooking. So, um, yeah, that guilt comes from, uh, thankfully, my parents are a little, you know, they, they are career first, but there's certainly family members of mine who are like, why are you working? You should be cooking. Everybody should have a, you know, a fresh meal every night. So I have that, that female guilt, that South Asian cultural guilt. So for me, it's kind of double-sided. Pay over to you. Okay, Alan, my parents immigrated from Taiwan when I was a baby, and they had no money. They didn't speak English. Uh, they worked seven days a week, long hours. They had a corner store um, in, a very, in a terrible neighborhood, and it was, I was constantly reminded that they, you know, moved here, left everything behind because they wanted to give my brother and I better opportunities and a, and a better life. And then I ended up going into the arts. I'm self-employed, which still blows their mind because they can't figure it out. Like, their hopes were really that my brother and I would end up being, you know, a doctor, like the children of all of their friends, which my mom likes to name drop. Like, oh, do you remember, uh, you know, Laura, she's a dentist, like her dad. Uh, so I never went into medicine, and I'm in my 40s. I'm single, and I never gave them grandchildren. So I'm constantly reminded of these small little failures in life. Um, my parents are pretty good. Like, they're, they're proud of the work I do. But my mom still now will ask me things like, do you want to go back to school maybe to study medicine? And it's like, no, it was never, ever an interest of mine. Um, but there's that sacrifice that you're constantly reminded that they, they made for you. So, and, you know, and speaking to what far I do enjoy cooking, but my mom doesn't love the fact that when I try to make dumplings, that plates aren't perfect. That she'll look at my dumplings and they're like, they're so ugly, no one should eat them. So it's everything, <laughs> like everything, I'm constantly reminded of all the things of, I don't live up of, to. Of your shortcomings. Is, yeah. is that your experience, Naomi? I mean, it, it, do you, is food a common theme through this? Oh, I don't cook, so I'm like Farah. I, I've never liked cooking. I never had an interest in it. So yes, I get the guilt about food all the time, especially right now, because I don't have a caregiver at home right now, so I'm trying to learn how to cook. And at, you know, almost 39 years old, it's embarrassing to my family that I actually cannot provide food for my children. Like, this is like a crisis. So, uh, yeah. You, you cook by dialing take for takeout. That's how, that's how you cook. Eat now. Why sure. Why, why cook? Hey, why do we need to know how to cook? 
But the main thing, like Farah said, is it's the traditional food. So the one thing I can make is chicken soup, which as a Jewish mother, you have to make Jewish penicillin. So I, I make chicken soup. It is the only thing I know how to make. But the fact that we just had Passover and I didn't know how to make any of the traditional foods. I mean, food itself, fine. The traditional foods, you know, my grandmother's still alive. I never learned how to make her mandel bread. They get mad that you don't take the time out of, you know, being a mother and a working mother and everything else to go sit and cook all day, like to, to make mandel bread. I should go bake. That's what I have to do. <laughs> Why are you on the phone? All right, I'm just going to throw in here on my waspy uh, guilt because I know that, you know, when we discuss guilt, I don't think I get enough, uh, I don't think I get any points. Because for me, you know, I come from a Calvinist upbringing, and the basis of that is that you're, you're wretched and sinful and you're just a horrible soul. Uh, and then just from that, like, I don't have those experiences that all three of you, you know, are talking about, about, you know, being in a, from an immigrant family or surviving something. I don't have that. But what I just have is just real quiet, like, you know, just cutting remarks, just yeah. sort of, you know, oh, well, that's that's lovely. Um, you know, too bad you didn't do more with your life like that stuff. And, and it's I, the charity work and not doing good for others and yeah yeah just that just that sense of you've just not done enough with your life and I, is that a I mean far look at you you I mean goodness you were featured in the TDSB you got a TED talk you're on TV every day do you still feel that way you know what I think I think my parents are very proud of me I think there's other family members who are just like wh- like why are you? they just don't get it they don't get how if I was to quit I would be the most unhappy person if I was at home I just for me it wouldn't work so I think that 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 part does make me feel guilty and it's just like I wear every and you know how I am you know I have a huge guilt complex too you know we talk about this every commercial break but it's just I, I feel like I just wear it all the time I like I'm like I bathe in it and then there's mom guilt on top of that <laughs> Oh, yeah, the mom guilt is something else, isn't it? There's mom guilt, and you get the mom guilt, and Instagram and Facebook are the worst for it because you see all these people who have, like, they they manage to do it all, and they look beautiful in the picture, and... It's, I mean, it's not even just mom guilt for pay. It's, it's women. I mean, you, there's a guilt that you're not doing enough as a woman, and you're not doing enough. It's, you get guilt from all angles. You get the cultural, but then you also get it from society, just from your, you know, from everyone who's surrounding you, and people you don't even know on social media. Hey, when you're just hanging out with your friends, uh, you, you know, you, you feel that weight. Do you feel like you're swimming in guilt? I mean, I'm not talking about when you're sitting with mom and mom's like, those dumplings suck. But, you know, just you're just out. Do you just feel that guilt weigh on you? Pay. Pay's, she made her feel guilty. Yeah, you did. Pay's pay gone enough. to make some dumplings. That's because she's going to, she feels so bad. Her, her dumplings are my samosas because I totally get that. Yeah, is that right? Samosas, it's like, how do you not know how to make these? Because like, I just don't know. I can't figure it out. I'm not good at geometry and they're not going to be perfect triangles. And stuff is going to leak out. It's just how it is. It, you know? And it takes too long. Here's, here's the thing, but here's, it, let me, awesome. let me talk, move from food to just yelling. Because in, in my upbringing, nobody ever expresses an emotion. Emotions are terribly frowned on. You just, you just swallow it and then you just kind of ruminate on it and it just kind of is like a stone that works its way through your gut for years. Is, oh, no, uh, but you guys that. yell. You're, you're from community, you're from cultures that get it out there and yell. My grandmother, if I, I mean, I love my grandma. I love my whole family. So I speak about this with love because my grandmother is an incredible woman. But I mean, if I got, you know, 91 on a test, there were questions about where the other 90% <laughs> Yeah, for sure. You know, it's like, 
well, that was great, but what else happened? You know, why didn't yeah. you get 100? So I step up very hard, and, and it just trickled down to, to everybody else in the family. And like I said, I'm guilty of it, too, because now I do it to my husband and I do it to my kids. I try not to. I uh, we, myself, we, we got payback. Pay pays pays back. Oh, she hi, felt. She, back. You, I, do I you felt feel guilty so, for leaving us? Or yes, I, I hope you feel guilty. And I felt awful. I started to sweat. I, you, you're a terrible person, Pay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I I, I, I got to go. Here's at one one quick round the table. Why is your community and your culture's guilt the best slash worst? Far go. It's because it's about, it's women, mothers, and it's also cultural. Um, so I think we have we have this threefold guilt going on right now. Oh, and new immigrant four. There we go. <laughs> Let's go over to God's chosen Naomi. Yeah, well, think about it. Think what we've been through. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where to start. It's like memories of, of what we've been through, and, that, and therefore we feel guilty for what they went through, and now we feel guilty because we didn't go through what they went through. All right, all right. Pay, pay for the Asian communities. Asian community, it's multi-generational guilt, and I think, as far as that, it's also immigrant guilt. It's, look what we have done for you, and now you choose to do something that makes you happy. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed no. to do things that make them happy. For them. <laughs> all right. I will just finish up by saying I feel guilty for all of the things that you feel guilty for. That's, that's just it. Thank you so much for being with me. I have got to go. Have a great weekend.